Hello, this is the AI and L&D Insights podcast, where learning, development and performance support meets cutting-edge artificial intelligence. Here's where we cut through the buzz, we explore innovations, we discuss their potential, and we also unmask limitations. My name is Marcus Bernard, and my guest on the show today is the fabulous Myra Roldan, well-known as an AI evangelist in our sector, so a perfect guest for the show. She works in machine learning and has for some time at AWS, and she also provides executive business coaching. Welcome on the show, Myra. Thanks, Marcus. I'm glad to be here today. Fabulous. Let's dive straight in. You do a lot of interesting work, and there's a lot of cool aspects about the stuff you do. What are sort of the topics that you're thinking about at the moment and the things that that keep you busy when you're thinking about the world of AI and the things that are changing? Yeah, I'll give you two areas. The first one is um, how do we upskill individuals in the community, not just in the tech sector, uh, the use of AI to help enable them to gain the skills they need to be to remain competitive in the job market as it evolves. That's one of the top things that I work on on a daily basis. I want to say the other things that really capture my attention and where my attention tends to go a lot is where is AI going? What's the evolution look like? What are the tools that are out there? How can we leverage it in daily life? And how is that going to change between now and six months from now? What's going to, you know, where is AI going to be in six months? Forget five years, right? But where is it going to be in six months? Because we've seen so much evolution just in the past year. So that keeps me on my toes. I do a lot of reading. I do a lot of experimenting. I do a lot of building. Uh, Yeah. And there is a lot going on. Every week we see new things come out, things change, and providers leapfrog one another. When we were recently at Learning 2023 in Orlando, in my talk, I had a, a picture where they compared some image expansion tools and they compared Midjourney and Magnific. And I asked, who's heard of Magnific? And not a single hand in the room went up. And I said, I couldn't have made the point any better that the point here is that products leapfrog one another. And this is a fast moving field. So there we go. That's what's happening every week now, every day, almost. I was going to say every day you you kind of blink and things change. And where do you think see things going for the next six months? And what are maybe your hopes and concerns? So I know everyone's obsessed with large language models, and I see an evolution in large language models. When you look at the large language model that OpenAI originally built for ChatGPT, that has evolved in its somewhere of like version four right now. But then you have large language models that are being built by other companies, like there are more players in the market now, just one year in, right? So we just celebrated the one year anniversary of ChatGPT. But most recently, like Google launched Gemini, which has the ability to learn from humans. What this means is, you know, when you watch a YouTube video and then you go ahead and you try to do the thing in the YouTube video, right? So like you have this way of being able to kind of absorb what's happening and then try to mimic it. So that's how Gemini is purported to learn also. So like learning from us as humans to then be able to do a task. 
and not just learning from like historical data. And how would the interaction then work with Gemini? So if I've gone in and I've asked it to help me with something and now I've gone off to try to do it, how would the feedback loop then then work on the Gemini system? So I think uh, I think it would be the opposite way, right? I think it would be where I've been using uh, Gemini through Notebook LM, which is an app where you can access Gemini through, and you could do it through Google Bard also. Mm-hmm. And um, what's interesting is, is that some of the tools have the ability to actually search the internet, right? So let's say you want, with Notebook LM, you can upload data sources. Like these are some data sources that I want you to learn from. And then I want you to do some things with it. So we had some of that with chat PDF, but this is a little bit more sophisticated. And so the feedback loop would come from us telling the AI that's incorrect or look at this or almost more like a conversational style as opposed to like what we've seen with OpenAI's ChatGPT. And putting some sources in that you know are are useful. Yes. So if you have a, a favorite person that you like to learn from, but you haven't got time to watch the full five-hour video, mm-hmm. then you can say, have a look at this one. This is the question I've got. And then you yes. need to search arduously within that. Yes. Fabulous. And since we're talking about tools, What's happening in the tool space from your end? Yeah. So there have been a lot of tools that have been launched recently. So Amazon launched uh, Party Rock, which is based on our Bedrock um, tool. Google, again, Gemini, uh, OpenAI has launched the 4.0 in ChatGPT. Claude is now in version two. Uh, so Anthropic Claude which is one of my favorite tools. I use Claude and Bard on a regular basis. They're all evolving, right? And they're all introducing new features. So I'm always looking at them, looking at like who are the large language model players and what capabilities are they giving us to be able to build with them? And then I'm also looking at productivity tools. What are things that are actually useful? So uh, just last night, I shared with my bestie, my best friend, Ann Rollins, um, let me pull this up really quick. It is called Wine GPT. And so I don't know much about wine, but it is a wine pairing with a touch of AI expertise. And so I like to share these tools with people who may have an interest, a, a bigger interest than I do in the topic. So then they can tell me like, okay, did you like it? Was it accurate? You know, and so I'll do that with a lot of different tools with a lot of different people. So it's not just my opinion, uh, because I like to gather that information and see is it something that's worthy of being evaluated. You mentioned Claude there, and I'm aware that a lot of the listeners are only starting to try out GPT. Many have started now also subscribing, but there's been a wait. You can't just subscribe anymore. They have so many requests that you have, you're you now in a waiting line. From your experience, having worked with both tools, how would you describe to our listeners the reason to maybe go to Claude? And what are the differences? How do you see the strengths and weaknesses? Does it even matter? Are they are they interchangeable? What, what should listeners know? I would say it depends on what you're trying to achieve. And are you looking for a free tool? Are you looking to pay to subscribe to a tool? Um, Because as I mentioned, there is Google Bard, which is available through bard.google.com. It's free, right? So it does the same things as ChatGPT and Claude. Claude um, 
has a free version and a paid version. I think they might have moved away from their free account. Um, I like Claude because it's a, Claude was the first one where you could upload source documents to and have it use your documents also as part of like their data set to answer questions, which was really interesting. And um, then OpenAI launched GPT-4 where you could upload documents also. And so it's been, they're, they're kind of compatible, like, you know, they offer kind of the same features. Um, I, again, I would say it depends on your level of experience what you hope to achieve and whether you have budget to pay for a subscription or not. If you don't, like there are free tools out there that you can use. I don't think everyone should jump into paying for a subscription, especially if you're just using it casually. And if you're using it at work, I would really not jump into a subscription. Uh, if your company does not have an AI policy or you don't know what the acceptable use policy is around AI for your organization. So I would like, I just read somewhere that someone got fired. Uh, it was like in a Forbes article. Someone got fired for the use of like a chat GPT type tool, a generative AI tool in photography, and they got fired. And I thought that was really interesting because it did not weigh within the organization's acceptable use of AI. Right. And, and that is something that hopefully we'll see a lot of movement in 2024 around the acceptable use and around the ethics of it all, that companies are finally catching up and hopefully policies are in place. And not just policies, but actually processes and responsibilities in addition to policies. I find myself saying quite often when people say, well, we've got a policy. And it, I say, well, if it says you endeavor to use AI fairly, mm -hmm. what does that what mean? Does, what does that actually mean? Because if you've got that policy lying around in the background and you're now delivering something and we find out it was not fair use, does that lead to anything now? Or can you waive the policy and said, well, we endeavored to do it fairly. So now we fell down. Now we can just move on. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the on the ethics there? I would say, like, first, let's talk about the policy piece. Um, a lot of companies do not know where to start. And that's some of the the stuff that I've been doing through my consulting work is just trying to help executives figure out like the understand the AI space so they can build their policies. But then it's also, I think it goes beyond the executives. It goes on into the legal world where they don't have a clear understanding, right? They're just going by whatever legislation is being put out right now by people who also don't understand the technology. It's like a vicious cycle, right? Yeah. I think that... If you're in a company that has like an AI policy and it's a very vague and broad and general AI policy, it is your responsibility to uh, figure out what is, what is the ethical use of your AI and like how do you label the content that's created with AI in order to be transparent. And I know a lot of people are hesitant to do that because they're afraid to lose their job, which like if you're sneaking around doing it and you're not labeling, then that's, it just creates like this whole issue, right? And so I would say from an ethical perspective is when you're looking at the tools you're using, you need to figure out is the content that you're generating bias against specific groups? Does it favor one group over another? That can be really difficult because we as humans in general struggle with that, right? We're not very good at that. <laughs> no, we're not really good at it. Uh, I read stuff on LinkedIn all the time where I'm like, oh, they said that, right? It's like, do they realize it's unconscious, right? And so 
I think that's where part of the issue is, is in this whole, like, how do we ensure that the content that we're creating with AI is unbiased, right? Or has, has been scrubbed for bias, at least, and is fair to populations and not just like, you know how we tend to build for the middle range? Like, you can have newbies, you can have people who have a lot of knowledge, and then we tend to build for the middle people, right? For the, instead of the other two outliers, um, so how do we ensure that we're like building for all, like, you know, not just the middle. So have you seen any examples that you like or things people have been doing that moves us in the right direction with regard to those biases? I have not just yet. <laughs> I mean, it's probably one of the problems right now that if, if someone came along and solved it, that would be a solution that might even be worth a lot of money because yeah. I mean, if we've thrown all digitally produced text into these systems, then we should know that all digitally ever produced text is predominantly Western world, therein predominantly white, and therein predominantly male, and therein predominantly, don't quote me on the numbers, but somewhere between 25 and 45. And so the bias is obviously in the system, even if we just look at how language is being used or what's being discussed and all these training sets to clear them of any kind of bias like that. I have not come across anyone who said, I've got a really good idea here how we could approach this. So that still remains a human element, right? Yeah. I, I think that you know all data that has been created is human, right? It's been created by us. No yep. one else, audience have not come down and been like, here's some data sets, right? Uh, here's the data that as we see it from like this third party looking at you guys and the shit show that you have going on down here, right? Um, it's all created by humans and, you know, we're biased. I think it's unrealistic to believe that we'll gain, we'll reach a point where all data will be unbiased or scrub the bias because it's. The, we create the data. We are the data. And we're, we already said we're really bad at this. And you and I yeah. have discussed this before. It's also what we're getting served up in the media, right? Yeah. The media coverage is not unbiased either. Any Anything that springs to mind there? There's a lot. I think that's a whole, like, that. there's an easy way of getting political on that. I really try to stay out of the politics of things. Um but maybe but, with regard to let's let's look at yeah. female representation. Oh, okay. We had this. You and I had this conversation earlier. So, and someone had post posted this on LinkedIn also that there are no females in AI. And I always feel like, hello, like, what am I? <laughs> uh, and there's so many other great women that are have done some amazing things, have founded companies, run companies. Um, who, you know, are just phenomenal women in AI. And we don't get as much of the coverage because we're not popping up in your feeds on a regular basis. And it's not just about the feeds, right? There's also journalists out there who are writing yeah. and producing pieces. And these journalists, one would hope, are a diverse group hired by an employer who somewhere has a policy that says we aim for diversity and all of those good things. And now these these journalists end up putting pieces out there that name the top three, the top five, the top 10 people in AI. And well, isn't it mind-blowing how they always completely and utterly lack diversity, right? Okay. So I, and I asked you this, like, name 
three women and AI, just like off the top of your head. And you can't cheat. Off the top of my head. Oh, gosh. I'm I'm particularly bad with names, but uh, yeah, okay. at, the, at the top of my head, I would say we have the CTO at uh, OpenAI. Yeah, Very famous. Then we have Sara Lucioni at uh, Hugging Face. Yep. Then we have Timnit Gebru uh-huh. at the DAIR and her fellow collaborators, all women, anyone who's read the Harrods paper. Should should note that there's three fantastic women who wrote that. So, yeah, I can think of a few immediately. But, of course, my brain is saying, oh, it would be much easier to have named five men, right? Yeah, and, right. So and, like, but I've been trained by the system. I've been trained through repetition and spaced out and interleaved practice and all those good things in learning. The way it's being presented to me, my brain is saying, no, 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 there's, there's far more men. Yeah. Right. So like when you think about and we can all name off the men in AI, right? The first yeah. one that always comes Sam Altman, right? Like you can name them off. You can rattle them off. Elon Musk, right? Yeah. You can rattle them off. Um, but when I say to you, I'm gonna name a few women, Allie Miller, mm-hmm. yep. former Amazonian, uh Reina, and I can never pronounce her last name, and I won't try to, but she's the co-founder of Effectiva. Um, uh, Siobhan Zillis, uh, she is at OpenAI, or was at OpenAI. Uh, Regina Barzilay, um, who is an Israeli computer scientist. She's a professor at MIT. Yep. Um, Chelsea Finn, you know, she's also a professor at Stanford University, which... I offer a boot camp for educators at community colleges and universities, and we offer them a continuing education credit certificate from Stanford University. So our the stuff oh, we fabulous edit by, you know, the university. So I'm very proud of that. Uh, Cynthia Rudin, right? She is also a computer scientist at Duke, right? And then you said Timmy, Tim, Timnit, Timnit, Gibru, who's also a black woman. So she's a double minority there, right? So when you think about these women, their names don't roll off our tongues. No, they don't. And we we don't see them on television when someone is being interviewed to give us their opinion either. Nope. Nope. At least not on the mainstream, boring channels. We all heard about the Sam Altman drama. I covered it on TikTok. Like Sam Altman got fired. Oh my God, right? Like Mira Marathi was in that whole drama. And her name never came up. Like occasionally it would come up, right? But it's just so interesting. They fired him and he's back again. He's this. Where's Elon Musk? Like, you know, what about Greg Brockman? What about, like, you know what I mean? Like, no one's like, what do the women think? And she was supposed to be the CEO, if I remember correctly. Yes. And then when everything moved on, we heard that there's still drama, that there's still stuff going on, that the board is changing. Yep. We never heard her name ever again. Well, no one said, is she happy that she's been put in that position? Now she's semi-demoted again to where she was. And is she happy? Will she maybe join the board? You know, if someone's in the running for CEO, maybe, maybe they should also have a different role in the company generally. And then we found out what the board was. And the the White Boys Club was back immediately. Yes. When we brought the new board together and with good, you know, with fantastic credentials and good justifications. But hello, 
are you telling me that there's no one else out there who could have who could have had fantastic credentials and could have sat on this board to help guide this company further and Satya Nadella was praised greatly for his leadership and his role in all of this but I have I'm yet to come across someone who can show me that there was evidence that Satya said can we just can we just have a slightly different board can we be more forward thinking here suddenly the leadership was gone when it came to giving them all a job or replacing the role there was a lot of leadership but when it came to the touchy subject of making some some very important decisions with all the guidelines that we have in all of our policies i'm sure microsoft's diversity policy is very clear on these topics i didn't see any leadership right or have i missed something no no you are spot on <laughs> and so there's a lot of ethics questions we need to continue to ask ourselves and i think the human element in this journey will continue to be a very important one as we also look at regulators what are your thoughts on regulations that are coming in or are being developed so um it's interesting i was at afrotech in november and during that time president biden also issued his executive order yep. on ai right security and ai and it became a scramble all of a sudden. I was getting phone calls left and right from uh, senators, House representatives, Congress people wanting to talk and trying to get information. See, like, how can we like partner? I think that if there's going to be any kind of oversight around AI, they should have a board of all these women in AI with a little sprinkle of men. So someone who knows what we're, what they're talking about yep. to actually help with the regulation. Because I don't think that, I think that what a lot of these countries are proposing in their regulations could be detrimental. Uh, it could be stifling. It could, because everyone, there's, there's always hidden agendas. And so I think if you had constituents who are experts on the topic form a a board, a regulation board, I think that we would get different types of regulation and something that might be more based on ethics and less political. I don't think, I don't know that it should be political. Political one thing, because there's party politics that will come in. And the other thing is, I laughed out loud the first time I heard about the idea that the big players should self-regulate and come together in a room, right? We've... Well, it, it, in terms of ideas, uh, <laughs> we 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 haven't had we hadn't had the brightest sparks help us out there. Now that regulations are coming out, at least that is moving forward. But there is there is nobody that has been established that has been given the full backing by the people who could give it the full backing. So not neither is the board in existence, nor has anyone backed it yet. Where we could have a second opinion, where we could have some people who really know what they're talking about, and they don't happen to have shares or yes, yeah. who has who have no interest. yeah, yeah, no interest. That's why I was saying, like maybe we should have like all of these these women who are ignored on a regular basis, right, come in and be able to regulate and add in some male voices also, so then we have some diversity, right, diversity yep. of thought. And also diversity and bias, because I'm not saying that women are biased, right? So uh, we can have a diversity and bias, at least, that's being injected into yep. all of them. Because I think that it's just, 
a very interesting time. And I just feel that I understand everyone wanting to regulate it, but we need to understand that we will be regulating what we know right now, but not being able to regulate what's coming in the future. Right. So the regulations you put into place will, will serve what we know right now today. But with the speed at which AI is evolving, what if it turns into something totally different, like in six months? Yep. Your regulations mean nothing. They're at right? least a hundred steps yeah. behind, right? They're, they're, we shall deprecate your regulations. Um, so I think that it, because it's evolving, because it's so new still, like it's only a year old, right, for the general public use. The general public has had access for a year officially. Um, the whole concept of AI is over 100 years old. The fact that we are in this tiny window right now, like extremely small window that is still a newborn. What is AI going to be when it's a teenager or a preteen, right? Or a toddler or, yeah. you know. And even people who do this kind of stuff and try to keep themselves up to date, even those were mostly surprised this year. Yes, you can always find a few outliers who make outrageous predictions because outrageous predictions are just cooler than normal predictions. Kahneman wrote a piece on that as well, right? But the jump from GPT 3.5 to 4 has been discussed widely. That was quite the jump. And then I remember saying, Im images are not there yet. For learning, we need images. We're going to need the signaling principle to highlight the right piece of the image at the right time so that we have the visual cue and it we're not there yet and here we are um well, well. <laughs> i've uploaded so many funny images recently just to test it in different ways we were at disney world and i took a photo of a sign that just had country names on it and i said we're at the epcot center this is the sign i'm in front of we would like a fast ride what advice can you give me? And it said, oh, what you want to do is you might want to head to France because there's Ratatouille there. That's one of the, fav <laughs> that's one of the favorite rides. And that is really high up there. But let me warn you, that's more a family fun ride. If by fast you mean thrill ride, there's no thrill rides on this sign. But in the Epcot Center, you could check out these two places, but they're not mentioned on this sign. Oh, my God, that. That wasn't just the answer to my question. That was consultative. Yeah. Yeah. That was, did you mean family fast or did you mean thrill fast? Yeah. And and those are not on this sign, but they're there. And and I thought, this is just crazy. I just uploaded a sign with five country names. Um, crazy. And I also took a photo recently when I was doing a, a workshop. I took an image. They had their photographer come in for their group photography session during the lunch break of my workshop day okay. and there they were they had moved a few tables and chairs out of the way they were all standing there the photographer had got on the chair to take the photo slightly from above so i quickly snapped a, a shot of the scene and i said what do you think and i said oh there are some safety concerns in this image one the photographer is standing on a chair and that's not good but also and this was something no one none of us had seen in the photo but also, there's a little bit of clutter around, and clearly things have been pushed to a side. And on the right-hand side, it looks like there's a little bit of clutter towards that hallway. And on the ceiling, we can see the big green exit sign pointing in that direction. So that's a fire escape route. 
So maybe they have to clear the space for the photo blocked off parts of the fire escape route, which would be a huge concern. And I thought, okay, okay, okay. That's now, yeah, that that's now starting to get really interesting in terms of feedback. That just that wasn't just, oh, look, there's a bold person and three other smiling people in this photo. No, that was that was analytical. Um, so yes, that was just the progress we've seen with images, right? Yeah. And when and you think about like, the decision making though, right? Yes. And then we're when we're talking images. We're just short of talking real live videos or movies. So ARVR springs to mind. Mm -hmm. Do you see much exciting things happening in that direction? Is that yet a topic or am I, do you think I'm going a little bit too quick on this one? No, I think it's a topic that is in its infancy as people start to integrate AI into ARVR. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of like we're going to see these melding of technologies to work together because I, I know when I was playing around with AI VR in 2014, mm -hmm. it was so long ago, they were seen as two separate technologies. It wasn't AR VR. It wasn't MR. It wasn't XR. It wasn't like all the things it is right now. And we're seeing AI being infiltrated into that. And I think that's going to be a field that's going to evolve also. The problem with uh, VR specifically is it still has limitations, right? When you require people to have to wear goggles to be able to interact as cool as it looks, right? And as cool as we all love the movie Ready Player One. And we love kind of that whole like affect of like being able to live in this other world through fully immersed. I think that we're going to see an evolution of that. And I think uh, I was watching um, a video that came across my feed of it was in a city and they were projecting something in the sky that was very AR VR-ish. And people were like, like, how, right? Like, how yeah. are we doing that? Because they were being immersed into an experience that was being kind of projected in the sky. And it wasn't like the regular drone shows that you see where like, you know, make, we saw one in New Orleans where it was like a, Ma a Revlon ad or a Maybelline ad, right? For right. like mascara, not that kind of like, Ad, but it was more like this thing being projected into the sky and it was using AI voice to interact and people were blown away with it. This is, we're going to see more of that. And I think when we get AR VR to really become part of our physical world like that, that's when we'll start seeing some changes. I think we're seeing immersive rooms where you can walk into a room and not have to wear the goggles and still experience that kind of immersion. I think when you throw AI into the mix, it'll create a different experience that may scare people at first, right? Because that's always the thing. There's the fear factor. Then there's like, oh, okay, it's not going to hurt me. Let me try it again. And it, then it, I start, you know, your brain starts to go and you're like, oh, I could do this with it. I could do that with it. The cost is still prohibitive for VR, right? It's still so expensive. When you think about, we can use AI for 20 bucks a month. Yes. But we right. can't buy the goggles for that, and we can't produce the content for that either. No, you can't. You can't. And so I think once we can start creating AI-generated worlds for VR, that will bring some of the costs down. Uh, but you still have the case of the, the equipment, right? Like, how do you solve for that? Will that be the resurgence of the metaverse? 
Will we start hearing more about that again in 2024? Or do you think with your futurist hat on, well, I've placed that on you now. You didn't say you had one. Yeah. Um, where, where do you think? <laughs> okay, so no. So like if you look, uh, so I, I, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a fan of the Gartner hype cycle. Um, yeah. I love looking out for weak signals for like what are the things that are kind of just like toying out there that um, may have legs to stand on, right? So when I think about AR, VR, and I think in, 20, uh, in 2024, we're going to be in the same place. There's not going to be any major developments around it because we entered the trough of disillusionment with it. Uh, and we kind of got stuck. There's no plateau just yet. We're still yeah. in that trough of disillusionment. But when I think about, um, have you ever heard of like Meta's experiment called Cicero? No, that's completely new to me. Okay. So Meta created this AI that plays at a human level. So there's a game that I... So I'm a nerd when it comes to the games I played. And so there's this game called Web Diplomacy. It's a very 80s looking game. It's almost like Risk or Stratego. Ah, yes. Yes, that rings a bell. Yes, a Web Diplomacy. And so it's a game you can just play it on your computer. It doesn't cost anything. Um, I'll send you the link so you can share it with everyone. But anyway, so Meta trained Cicero on this game called Web Diplomacy. So in web diplomacy, you have to be very strategic because what you're trying to do is you're trying to capture as much land, as much of the world, right? And so you're trying to capture as much land as you can. So you have to like collude and deceive and you have to like, you, you know, because you have to chat with other players and make barters that you're like, you, so you can be deceitful and stuff so you can grab land grab, right? So Cicero was trained on that. And it was able to engage in the chat portion of that, where it could be strategic and reply back to players and talk to players in a bartering, kind of colluding kind of way, which is scary, right? To me, that's scary. Because when I think about like when I play, I, I try to cheat. Like my goal is always to cheat, right? Break to the say, rules, break yeah, the system, break the see how you can system. win. Yeah, yeah. See yeah. how I, the goal is to win. Yeah, right? exactly. And so with Cicero, it kind of got into that space where it could have dialogue with other players to coordinate actions and be cooperative, but also collude and you know deceitful, negotiate and stuff like that. I don't know if it was more of the deceit, but I think it was like more of the negotiations and the and yeah. the coordinating actions, right? Um, think about like leadership kind of skills that people try to develop. When you have an AI that can develop leadership skills, that's scary. <laughs> but imagine that. Now put that into like an AR VR simulation. And the thing that always gets me is that a lot of these technologies come, come out of war games. AR VR started with the military. AI, the military has experimented with it greatly. So when you have those coming together, it's always kind of interesting. That's where the funding comes from, right? Yeah. Very, very interesting, especially when you think about the, as an agent, being involved in a group of people and taking on a role and starting to influence, starting to barter, starting to make alliances, build alliances, have loyalties, and then strategically also 
try to win the game actually so the, the the alliances and the friendships are not actually anything worth on paper it's a game and we managed to see that happen in that game already now with computing power and systems improving if you can imagine a vrar world where the content is also developing on the fly rather than being all pre-planned yeah yeah now things are starting to blend what some people would call reality and what other people would call a game into something that we might struggle to define, right? Yeah. I think about like, I, I always go back to like, you know, there's truth and fiction. Like think of the, about the movie War Games. Yes. You know, where uh, oh, he was a teenager who was playing a game, but he was really like controlling war. Like he was, it was actual war. So I always think about that. Like, I get really da deep down in the weeds and stuff. It's just like not good for my mental health. <laughs> Absolutely. And you mentioned right at the start, also a focus on upskilling and reskilling. Yes. What are the hot takes there right now from, from your vantage point? Yeah. So one of the programs that I lead at Amazon is um, called an educator enablement program. And what we do is we work with U.S.-based institutions, so community colleges and universities, and we provide faculty at those institutions with upskilling in AI. So basically helping them learn what AI is, how do you teach it, how can you help students build skills, develop the skills they need so they can be competitive in the job market. And we're starting with educators because there aren't enough people in the education system who have AI knowledge, right? So educators at community colleges and university may have been in industry in the past, but don't have, and may have some industry ties, but the demands on them are so great that it's difficult for them to be able to do everything at once. And so we provide this um, whole program where we'll help them develop program study. So we've launched degrees with a few institutions. We've helped them launch degrees. So it's not co-branded with AWS, but like um, Houston Community College launched a bachelor's in artificial intelligence and robotics, one of the first community colleges to offer a bachelor's degree. And I can go down the whole economics of this because their whole program is like $10,000 for a four-year degree, as opposed to $100,000 um, that it costs right now to get a four-year degree. We have other institutions like Miami-Dade College that's launching a program. Uh, Santa Monica Community College is launching a program in cloud with some AI. So we're going to see more, more of this come about. And so that's the point is how do we ensure that we can reach a diverse population and help them get some AI knowledge. We're not tr trying to make them AI experts, right, but help them develop the knowledge in order to be able to be competitive in the market. I think that's absolutely fabulous. Sounds like a really, really cool, exciting program. And those who know me know how education is really dear to my heart. I've spent a lot of time in the education world, and it's it's something that is always in the back of my mind that in the future I want to get stuck into more again. Um, yeah. there's, no, there's no plan to that yet, but it would be fantastic. Are there, are there also links to that? some of those programs that you mentioned that we might be able um, to add to the so, show notes? Yeah, definitely. We have on our AWS website, we have a link that I can share with you. It is just strictly for 
educators, faculty at community colleges and universities in the U.S. It is not for general public. We don't have an offering for everyone. I get asked all the time. Uh, I do a cohort for young girls where I help them build apps for different programs. I've been toying with this Montessori style academy for adults on my own that I might offer, but I'm still toying with that because that would be, you know, a Myra offering. Still playing around with that and and building content. We'll see where it goes. And you have to start somewhere. You you can't make the first steps and then satisfy the world that the world wanted a hundred different steps, right? You have to start somewhere. You have to build it up. And you've chosen some, I think, really great starting points. And we'll be really keen to watch how those progress. But we can follow you, obviously, on LinkedIn, where you share some of this. I remember seeing a few weeks ago a post about some of your girls winning a prize, I think it was. Yes. So they actually won a Technovation Challenge. I think it was fifth place. Uh, and they entered the Congressional App Challenge. Now, mind you, these are 11-year-olds, 10 and 11-year-olds. Their app has an AI chatbot in it. It's called C-Smart is their app. And it has an AI chatbot that users can interact with. And these girls went from knowing zero code to building an app in six months. That is not only fantastic generally, but especially for that age group. And I'm sure, and I'm sure they're not just on a fantastic program, but getting to work with someone like you. They don't realize how good they've got it is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's so interesting. So I'm starting another cohort of that in January. So anyone that's interested can connect with me on LinkedIn and get more information. It's for girls ages, uh, I believe we take them as young as 8 to 14. Fantastic. Love it. I myself did a little bit of work with getting um, girls into engineering when I worked at the German Science Museum. I did a little bit of robotics with the Lego Mindstorm set it was it was back then and we brought groups of girls in and they built their own robot and tried to get it to find its way through a labyrinth with some sensors and some very basic algorithms that we put into the mindstorm so yes my my enthusiasm is a true enthusiasm not a podcast host enthusiasm when i hear these things yeah it's amazing so the program that i run is uh starting in january it runs a full semester so they stay with me through june fabulous so. so we'll make sure we have your contact details in the show notes. We'll make sure we have some of those links as well in the show notes. From my end, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much for coming on the program. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is fun. Thank you very much. And we look forward to seeing what comes next. And hopefully we'll see some really exciting news early in 2024 from all these fantastic projects you're running alongside your main job. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Bye for now. Bye.